Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. You know, is there, is there anything that our culture craves, lusts for more than money, youthfulness, beauty, power, relationships, fame? Is there, I mean, is there anything that our culture hungers for, thirsts for more than that? I don't think so. I think, I think that's just part of it. And today we're gonna look at a man who really, he had all of that at his disposal. He has an encounter with Jesus and he walks away from that encounter sad and disappointed. I wonder how many times uh, we come to Jesus, we have an encounter with him, we realize, and we, we, we don't fully realize that he is the supply of any need we have. And we walk away sad or disappointed. Can I tell you, he's not a genie. You, you don't just rub him a certain way and get your wishes. He is a relationship. and He really desires the best for us. How many of you are, are grateful, as, in the words of, uh, 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 what's his name? Um, the guy who wrote the song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers? Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks, yeah. How many of you are glad for unanswered prayers? Amen? God knows what's best for us and he'll do us that. But Satan has a strategy to get us stuck and to keep us stuck. And a lot of that has to do with money, beauty, and power, okay? And so since the garden, that's been the strategy. Last week, Joel talked about some things that get us stuck. And he, he, he particularly, I think it was funny because he would, he would come and he would sit up here front. And I was talking to some people afterwards and they would point up there. He said, you know, the tree of life and the, the tree of knowledge. And I'm like, well, it's not really up here, you know. But that's a reality. There's two trees. One is a tree that brings life in the garden. You remember Genesis 2 and 3? One that brings life. One that brings about a life that's fully alive the way God created us to live. How many want to live that way? Connected to the life source, fully alive, fully functioning with purpose and meaning and all that. But there's another tree that will keep us stuck And that tree brings death. You know what death is? It's absence of life, okay? And so some of us are are, are going, oh, we want life, but we're getting it out of the wrong tree. And God's saying, hey, listen, man, thank me for your unanswered prayers. And so today we wanna talk a little bit about that. These two trees represent two choices, two ways of living, two ways of thinking. Have, have you ever made a choice and, and you regretted that choice? It was a major decision. God gives us free choice. But I'm telling you, if we're feeding on the wrong tree and we make our choices out of our own self-reliance, out of our own reasoning, out of our own sorting things out, our pro and con list, Can I tell you, many, many times we will choose wrong. You know why that is? The the author of Proverbs, one of the Proverbs writers said it this way. He said, there's a way 
that seems right unto man. But the end thereof is, is death. How many can relate to that? There's a way, man, that, and don't, don't look around, that partner that I was dating, that person I married, don't look around, that job I took, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. So the thing about it is, if we wanna keep from being stuck, we've got to feed out of the right tree, the one that brings life, the one that brings us fully alive, the one that is our true life source. God did not create us to be independent agents. You realize that? What happened in the garden was a declaration of independence. It was a rebellion. And so God says, listen, I want you to be so connected to me that life flows in and out and through you. So we're gonna look at that a little bit, but mankind is stuck because of the wrong tree. Today, we're gonna look at two back-to-back stories that Jesus told. Jesus would do this often. He would take two stories kind of to compare and contrast. And these are found in all of the synoptic gospels. We're gonna be looking at Mark chapter 10. If you have a copy of your scripture, turn there. Mark chapter 10. And we're gonna be starting with verse 13. Verse 13. Chapter 10, verse 13, it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He was upset. He was angry at the injustice that was going on and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now, that's the first story. And you're gonna see the contrast. You're gonna see what's going on in this story here. And so he says, he makes an interesting statement in um, verse 14. He says, let the little children come to me, don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What do you think Jesus means by that? The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I think he's saying that little kids, there's something about little kids. They have the kingdom of God way of thinking. Their way of thinking is just God's way of thinking. Can I tell you, we can learn a lot from just observing little children. But like the disciples, most of us are put off by children because we're serious and we're with Jesus and we want to learn from Jesus and we want Jesus to meet our needs and show us things, give us deep revelation. Can I tell you what some of the deepest revelation you'll get per Jesus is by watching little children. So I want you to think just for a moment, what what might that mean? Have you ever noticed just the sheer innocence in little children? I mean, they're just innocent. They'll believe anything, you know? And, and so they're, they're just so curious. They ask questions. 
Years ago, there was a, a show called Kids Ask the Darndest Questions, and they do. They ask the craziest questions, but can I tell you, many times they're right on target. Yeah, they have an incredible curiosity and imagination. They have the ability to see and to sense and to hear in the invisible, right? They have ability to do things that most of us can't do because we've outgrown it. This is gonna sound like a Peter Pan message or something, but you know, there are things that when we were children, we did instinctively that we as adults no longer do. And so these little children, they're there, they're, they're just seeing, they're imagining, they're highly relational. What do these little children do? They crawl up into the lap of Jesus. Don't you love it when little kids just kind of crawl up in your lap? What does that say to you when a little kid will come and crawl up into your lap? Jeff, you probably had more than one little kid crawl up in your lap, hadn't you? What does that, what does that say? They trust you. They trust you. Little kids trust. Now, they don't crawl up into the lap of just anybody, do they? But when Little kids, they have bright eyes, right? And I think little kids are looking for bright eyes. They're looking for joy. They're looking for people who have the joy of the kingdom, the peace of the kingdom, the security of the kingdom, Right? And Jesus was carrying the king. Mates crawled right up in his lap, highly relational, trusting. See, children have tree of life thinking. They're highly relational, not reasoning. They don't have to figure it all out. Well, could this be the Messiah? Maybe that's the son of God. Does he trust me? They don't do that. They just, by their spirit, they'd go, yeah, I just like this guy. You remember whenever you were in school and elementary school or whatever, who'd you play with? People you liked. I like that person. I don't know why. What if, what if we chose friends like that today as adults instead of saying, well, how can this person get me ahead in the game? This person is of high position, so probably I ought to, you know, kiss up to that person. And we just said, you know what? I just like the spirit in that person. I just like hanging around with that person. Yeah, they don't have two nickels to rub together, but I like them. You think that might change the world if we began to think like little children? Just a thought there. Now, across the street from this is going on, Jesus is laying hands on these kids. He's blessing them. And he says, these guys have the thinking of the kingdom of God. You can't even enter into the kingdom of God unless you have this tree of life thinking that they have that's absolutely dependent and connected to the life source. Now across the street is a man and he's probably got a huge entourage and he's watching what's going on. And we pick up the story in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, Matthew 19 says, a young man, pick that up. He's a young guy. A young man ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees before him. And he said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right question, don't you think? Good question. Wrong tree, what must I do? See, that's how we as adults feeding from the tree of 
knowledge of good and evil, we're, we're just measuring, oh, is it good, is it evil, is it bad, is it good, is it lie? Can I tell you what, the issue is never right or wrong, good or bad. The issue is always life or death, right? There's two trees, one brings life, the other brings death. That's the issue. And this guy is asking the wrong questions. He's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now he's on the right track when he says inherit. Who inherits things? Family, children, sons and daughters, right? And Jesus was probably thinking, oh, you're close. You're close. You don't have to do squat except be in relationship with me. And so what does he say? So the end game is, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Now, your view of eternal life will determine the questions you ask and how you ask them, okay? What was his view of eternal life? It was a transaction, it was a destination or a position, something you attain to, a position that if you do something, you earn that or a destination that you go to one day when you die and die, when you die in the sweet by and by, right? I don't know about you, but that was kind of the way I thought, hey, heaven, you know, I bound to have to do something to get into heaven. So I got to pray a prayer, but I got to say it just right. I got to really mean it. And I got, you know, there's a whole list of things that we kind of got to do. Can I tell you the news is a whole lot better than that. And Jesus is saying, listen, man, you ain't, ain't nothing you can do. But if you'll be like a kid, if you'll be like a child, you'll trust me and innocently say, Jesus, I don't have anything to give you, but I trust you because I want to be one of your kids. I want to be a son or a daughter. What did Jesus say eternal life was about? You remember John uh, 17, verse three? You can go back and look it up and check me on it. Jesus said this. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you. That's a relational word. Yada in the Hebrew part of it, it, it means to have intimate relationship with God. You father, the only true God and Jesus, the one whom you sent. What is he saying? If you wanna know what eternal life is, it begins with relationship with Jesus and his father. So when you talk to somebody in, about eternal life, you can say, man, I'm already in eternal life. You know Jesus, if you have relationship, it's a tree of life, relationship of life source. And so life has begun. Eternal life springing forth has already begun. Very different than some of us were taught. Is a position, a destination. No, it's a relationship. It's a whole different tree. It's a whole different way of thinking. Now, look at verse 18. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. Do you, not, do you know the commandments? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. You shall honor your father and your mother. Now, where do these come from? They're from the top 10, aren't they? You know? And, and so Jesus is saying, but you notice Jesus gave him the back half of the top 10. The front, the front half are, are God word, right? No other gods before me, no idols. The back, the back half or last six 
or manward. This is how you ought to treat one another. Don't kill each other. Don't cheat on each other. Don't take another man's wife. Don't, you know, stuff like that. Don't do that. And what is his response to Jesus? He says, verse 20, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a little boy. And Jesus looked at him. I love verse 21. Jesus looked at the man and he loved him. Jesus looked at him. He knew he had such deep compassion for him. Have you ever as a parent had the right answer for your child, but you knew you couldn't give it to them? They had to get it on their own. And Jesus looked at him. He loved him and he's, he's for him. He, he, he knows that this man has great stature and standing and status in the world. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. We're gonna see all of that as the story unfolds. He's got everything that culture wants. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. And yet Jesus is in dialogue with him. Look, look, let's continue on. Jesus looks at him, loves him, and he says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. One thing you lack. Why did he tell him, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor? Was that the, was that the silver bullet? Is that the thing every one of us need to do? Go, go sell everything? Not, probably not a bad idea, but I mean, Jesus knew that the one thing that was holding him back from tree of life living was the idol of his money. Got really quiet. What is an idol? Idol is anything, anything that substitutes for God, that takes the place of God, that takes the highest place in priority of God. And that's, that's what's going on here. And so he goes on and he tells him, he says, this idol is keeping you from number one in the top 10, no other gods before me. That's number two, no idols. You're rich and you're, and you're a ruler and you're young, but it's your money and your focus on that, possessing that. You realize you can have a, a spirit of poverty on you and be a very wealthy individual financially. You know what, you know what a spirit of poverty is? It, it, it's holding on, it, it's, it's a fear of lack. It, it's holding on to something for fear of not having enough. You know, you ask, ask some rich people, you say, well, how much, how much is enough? Just a little bit more, just a little bit more. That's, that's, that's what's going on here. And Jesus says, no, no, you, 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 gotta, you, gotta get the, you gotta seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else will be added to you. You don't seek everything else first and then add the kingdom on top. Hello? Isn't that the way what our world says? We'll put a little Jesus Band-Aid on it and make it all better. Okay, let's go on. Verse 22, it says, At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad. He went away disappointed. He had missed his appointment. That's what disappointed means, to miss your appointment. He missed his appointment because, why? He had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for, a rich, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
What's he saying? He's saying the value system of materialism, beauty, and power is what, it make, what makes it hard for us to enter in the kingdom of God and live as kingdom of God citizens. Because they, in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with being young and beautiful. There's nothing wrong with having great power and fame. But if you're doing it out of the wrong tree, if you're doing it out of order with the way of the kingdom of seeking first the kingdom and because of seeking first, you're stewarding these things for the kingdom, we continue. Verse 24, it says, the disciples were amazed at these words. It went absolutely against the culture of their day as well. Because it was, it was esteemed that people who were wealthy were favored of God, right? Isn't that kind of how it works today? You, you got lots of money, you must be favored of God. Well, maybe, maybe not. They were amazed at his words, but listen how Jesus answered them. Jesus said again, verse 24, children, he's talking to his disciples. They just had, had the adventure with the disciple, with the disciples rebuked Jesus for allowing the kids to come near him. And he rebuked them right back. He said, no, no, let them come to me. And he calls them children. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Don't trust in the idol of money. Look at verse 26. The disciples were even more amazed that he said to, that, uh, and said to each other, who then can be saved? They're thinking, man, if, if people with means and status and all that, if they can't be saved, who could be saved? And listen to what Jesus says in verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What is Jesus saying? Look, look at that. With man, with tree of knowledge thinking, it's impossible to enter the kingdom of God. But it went away. But with God, tree of life thinking, there's nothing, it's impossible because that's the way we were created. That's the way we were made. Now, I wanna ask you a question. When you hear rich, young ruler, who comes to your mind? You don't have to say it out loud. I've been pondering this for a while. You know who comes to my mind when I think of rich, young ruler? I think of an Old Testament character, Solomon, rich, young ruler. Do you, do you know how old Solomon was when he became uh, king? Anybody here have a, have, a, have a guess on that? 13, that's not a bad guess. Anybody else? 19, well, we're just taking guesses now. That's fine, because you know what? Nobody knows exactly how old he was. But one of the things you can do is, is if you're a nerd like me, you'll, you'll do all kind of calculations. David ruled this long, he had son, Solomon was the youngest one, and we do this and carry the one. And, and you go and you try, to, you try to figure it out. And so I started looking at commentators. One guy says he was 12 years old 
Another one says, more likely he was 20 years old. You know the oldest calculation I could find though? 24 years old. 24 years old. He was young, right? He was a young guy. He had, he had youth. He was rich. We're gonna see just how rich he was in a minute. And he was a ruler. Again, there's nothing wrong with being young, rich, and a ruler. But can I tell you what? That there, there are some dangers that I want us to just look at quickly of being, our focus being on our youth, our money, and ruling, power, fame, those kind of things. I mean, you know, Jesus was a rich ruler. Come on, guys. How many of you know Jesus was a rich ruler? Crying out loud, he came from heaven with the riches of heaven to earth to be king of kings, right? And by the way, you're the king that he's the king of. King of kings. You're a son and daughter of Jesus. So Jesus handled richness well. Jesus handled ruling well. Can I, can I tell you, Jesus sought first the kingdom and then all the other stuff were added to him. I'd say, do you see how the kingdom of God is upside down? You see that? Now, let's look at, at Solomon's life for a little bit. We're gonna, we're, let's just start with, um, let, let's just start with rich, okay? Uh, let's look at uh, 1 Kings 10, 1 Kings 10, 14, and 15. It says, um, I, I started in the wrong spot there. It, um, no, that's fine. The weight of gold that Solomon received yearly, this is his yearly salary as, as the king of Israel, was 666 talents of gold. Okay? Now, it, I'm going to read it out of, just right out of my, my Bible here so that I'm gonna get lost here. The weight of gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenue from merchants and traders and all the Arabian kings and the governors and the territory. You know how much 666 talents is? That's a whole bunch. 25 tons of gold a year. How many of you say, I could, I could be a good salary, I could do that. 25 tons of gold annual salary. Now there's something that the Hebrew mind would have read this though and they wouldn't have thought 25 gold, uh, tons of gold. What did it say? 666 talents. What does 666 usually make you think of? All right. Some of y'all are with following me here. 666 is, is really the Jewish way of saying that something evil, something dark, something wrong, something opposed to God is happening. Are you with me? The Hebrew writers are saying, that ain't a good thing that he got that much money. Okay, look, look at, uh, I'll just read this to you. Verse 23, same chapter, 1 Kings 10 says, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear his wisdom from God, that the wisdom of God that he put in his heart. 
See, when, when Solomon began the journey, he started in the tree of life. His first, when God said, what do you want, Solomon? I'll give you anything you want. And he asked for wisdom. And he does all the things that his daddy, David, told him to do when he took the throne. But in time, things began to shift with Solomon. And I tell you, you know, things that might start out a blessing, if they're not cultivated in the kingdom of God way of thinking, in the tree of life thinking, can become a curse. Money's one of those things. Money will make you do crazy things. It can make you do crazy good things for the kingdom of God, but it can make you do crazy narcissistic, self-centered things if, if you're eating out of the wrong tree. And so look, look at this. It says, uh, we're going to have to go on. Y'all got to listen a little closer, a little faster. Okay, look at the next scripture here in 1 Kings 3, 7. He was rich. Everybody say, he was rich. But he was young. Look at, look at this. This is the, the verse in 1 Kings 3, 7. It says, now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. This is talking about Solomon. But I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Solomon's saying, man, I'm young and I need some help. That's why he asked for, for help, not help, help. That's, that's even more. He said, I need wisdom. I need discernment. I need understanding. I need the mind of God. That's how he began, right? And so he's young. He's David's youngest son. He, he begins ruling at this early age, 12, 20, 24, whatever. He rules, uh, he rules Israel for 40 years during a period of unparalleled peace. You know what that means? That means he had lots of time as a young guy to indulge himself with things that he wanted to do, okay? He had lots of time to um, have his youthful desires met. You know, what's the greatest allurement of youth? Well, it's usually gold, glory, and gals, right? <laughs> or guys. It's riches, power, and sex. All right, well, you're gonna keep going here. Some, some of you are going, wow, my goodness. Look at, look at uh, 1 Kings 11. I'm gonna prove my point here. 1 Kings 11, verse three and four says, this is speaking of Solomon. He said he had, come on, y'all need to listen to this. Everybody say it with me. He had how many wives? Gee, willikers. 700 wives. What a blessing, huh? <laughs> That's called excess. He has 700 wives of royal birth. What does that mean? He married some gals that their daddies were kings of other nations. Keep listening. It says, and he had, 700 wives wasn't enough. He had 300 concubines. And then the next line just makes sense. And his wives led him astray. <laughs> As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And I'm not going to take the time, but you take the time to look at all of the nations. He, I'll give you one example. He marries Pharaoh's 
the Pharaoh of Egypt's daughter gets all kind of loot. And so part of his riches came from all these wives, daddies who were paying him for stuff. But you know what happened? They, yeah, he, he forged some military alliances and peace and all that stuff, but his heart was a turned astray by other gods. See, we can get so open-minded to things that, that our, our spirit falls out. You know, we, we, we lose our way. Solomon started out with a whole heart of God. Look at the rest of that verse there. It says, his heart was not fully devoted to the God, the Lord is God as the heart of his, as the heart of David, his father had been. See, see money, youthful desires can take us off course, can't they? Let's keep going here. Solomon liked women, by the way, uh, if you didn't pick that up. Let's look at the ruler, Solomon. And this, this is, is maybe the most tragic part of Solomon's life. In 1 Kings 10, 9, Beth, not Bathsheba, the queen of Sheba, different lady for sure, queen of Sheba comes to Jerusalem. She has a meeting with Solomon and she sees all of the stuff. And I don't know if she knew it, but she gave Solomon a prophetic word. Have you ever gotten a prophetic word from somebody who doesn't even know Jesus? Yeah. Better believe it. God will speak through donkeys and anything else, right? He's spoken through me on occasion. I guarantee you. He'll speak through anything. And so she comes and listen to what she says to Solomon in 1 Kings 10. Now she says, Praise be to the Lord our, your God who is delighted in you. She says, God, your, your God is delighted in you and placed you, Solomon, on the throne of Israel. And then she gives him his kingdom calling. And this is kind of cool. She says, here's your purpose, Solomon, because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. I want you to get that because of God's eternal love for the whole world today. Your kingdom calling, my kingdom calling is not just because God loves us, but it's for a much, much, much bigger purpose. Solomon, she says, the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he's made you king, and here it is, to maintain justice and righteousness. She says, New Testament translation, Matthew 6, 33. She knows that you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his justice, and then everything else. He can trust you with everything else. That was his kingdom calling. But look what happens with it. What did Solomon do with that kingdom calling? Uh, 1 Kings 9.15. 1 Kings 9.15. Let's look at this. Oh, my it says, here is an account of the forced labor King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, his own palace, and the, terrace, the terraces, the walls of Jerusalem, and Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Some of you going, what in the heck's all that about? Well, okay. Look at verse uh, 21. And it says, 
Solomon conscripted the descendants of all these people remaining in the land whom the Israelites could not eliminate to serve as slave labor. Ooh, got kind of quiet in here. Solomon conscripted slave labor to build the glorious temple of God. Solomon took slave labor to build his own palace. Solomon took slave labor to build the wall around Jerusalem. How many of you know that's not good? Solomon was doing exactly opposite of what his kingdom call was to, let me read it to you one more time. Your kingdom call is to maintain justice and righteousness. And he takes injustice by conscripting slave labor to do these things. Okay. Some of you are still not convinced. Look at 1 Kings 10, 26 through 29. So Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities. And he also had and, he, uh, and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees and foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from where? Egypt. His ancestors had been slaves in Egypt. Not a good idea. He imported Verse 29, they imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And they also exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the Arameans. What's that saying? Solomon, he's an arms dealer. He's importing and exporting. Solomon has become what Israel was freed from. Jerusalem has now become Egypt. Israel has become Egypt. If you go back and you read the book of Revelation and you will see in uh, chapters uh, well, I won't give it all to you, but in, in chapter 11, 16, 18, it, it, it says that Israel has become the new Egypt. It's become the new Babylon. It's become all of these things that it was freed from. It's become now. The very things that, that they despised when they were slaves, now they've become the masters over those very things. Can I tell you, that's what the dangers of leadership that is not servant leadership is. That's the dangers of having more money than you know what to do with or to do with appropriately. And so all of those things are going on there. I, I, I could keep going. I think we probably ought to, ought to wrap some of this up here a little bit. Solomon, he's importing, 
horses, chariots. And I know, I know some of you right now, you're, you're thinking, hmm, this is, I'm a little, feeling a little nervous here, Steve. What, what about America? See, Egypt was an empire, wasn't it? Babylon, Rome, all, the, all those places. Empires, right? Is the United States an empire? Well, of course we are. We're not just a power. We're a, we are the superpower of the world, correct? Do you think we have some stewardship for what we, what's been given to us? How many of you say America's a blessed country? Some of you are getting real uncomfortable now. We have responsibility, church, for the authority, the power we have. But can I tell you, it starts on an individual level and it goes on out. If we're a people that seeks first the kingdom of God, guess what? And we're, we're, we're feeding on the tree of life. That's the only way the messiness of our world is gonna get cleaned up. Can I tell you, there's, there's no political leader that's gonna fix it. There, there's no, it's King Jesus is the only way. And his hearts are turned to him repent and turn to him, aligned with God, things begin to shift. Things begin to shape. That word, you know, we were looking at the um, Hazar, Megiddo, and, and Gezer. You know what those places are? Megiddo, you've heard that? Armageddon in English, Armageddon. Those are all military bases that uh, Solomon set up. So he's got Military might, he's important. He did, he's doing all kinds of things. I'll let you fill in the blank, fill in the dots here. So what happened to Solomon? I'm glad you asked. It's the same thing that happens to any rich young rulers in any locale at any time. Let's look back again at, at 1 Kings uh, chapter four, 11, verse four. 1 Kings 11, four. Do we have that? It says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart to other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. He began to reason. He began to figure things out. He began to be self-sufficient. He began to read his own press clippings about what a great king he was. Oh, what a great church we have here. Can I tell you what? The reason we have a great church is because Jesus is Lord because we'll humble ourselves and admit we haven't got it all figured out. Because we are a group of people that's in desperate need of Jesus to come through for us every day of our life. That's the tree of life that breeds life. All right, so Jesus is calling the rich young ruler of every age back to the first two commandments of the old covenant I'm the Lord your God, no other gods before me. You should have no other no idols. See, the, the children got it right. It's about a love relationship with God. That's the tree of life. Let me ask, ask you in closing here, where are you stuck? As we've gone through these things, rich, young, where are you stuck? Is it riches? See, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You, know what, you wanna know what the indicators of your heart are in regard to riches? I, I, I'll give you two indicators right now. One is your calendar. 
The other one is, is your, your, your credit card receipts. So what are you investing your, your time in? What are you investing your money in? That's where your heart really is. Is your money important to you? Should be. It should be. Do you have money or does money have you? Do you steward God's wealth or does money control you? Is money an idol? Do you crave it? Is money a status symbol? The car you drive, the house you, you have, the size of your house, the location of your house. Maybe you have a, type, a poverty spirit. Those are all indicators of trust. Little children just said, Jesus, I trust you. Can I get up in your lap? If any of those things spoke to you right there in regard to riches and you'd say, yeah, I want to deal with those stuff. I want you to stand up. In regard to riches. I want you just to simply say with this, I repent of self-reliance and I repent of the idol of money. And I place my trust in you, God. You alone are enough. You supply all my needs. You're a good father. And I said, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. You may be seated. Maybe you're here this morning and youth, young ruler. Can I tell you, youth is just a stage of life. It's just a stage of life. It, you are not meant to live as a youth the rest of your life. Somehow in our culture, it's like that's the pinnacle of everything is to just stay young and beautiful, right? Can I tell you what happens if you do that? You stay shallow. We need to keep growing. We don't need to be stunted into a particular period of time. The good old days, you know, I've got a buddy here. We were talking in, in, in a foyer earlier. We have known each other for over 40 years. We remember when the good old days were, and they weren't all that good, <laughs> you know? We just kind of pulled our collective ignorance and, and were blissful to, to how ignorant we really were, you know? And so youth is wonderful as a season. Enjoy your youth. If you're a youth, then be a youth. But if you're 60 years old, don't be a youth. Be a father, be a mother, be a sage, be somebody who helps lift people, right? See, we, we need one another and, and we need not be in the wrong stage of life because our culture has this distorted perspective of youth. Anyway, maybe, maybe, I think what youth does is it, 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 if you have a youth spirit on you all the time, out of season, you can become so uh, independent and self-reliant that you won't call on people of another generation to help you. We need it. We need each other. This church, I'm gonna say it out loud, this church is a family of God. You know, somebody, well, y'all got all those college kids. I said, yeah, we got, they're, they're family. We're all family. Got a bunch of old people like yourself, Steve? Well, we got a few of those too. We're family. And everyone in between, we're family. Those who are off camp, they're family. We need each other. 
You know, I just say it out loud. One of the things that I, if you're a youth, you're going to be most prone to and is what David was, you're vulnerable to sexual temptation. Maybe, maybe that's you. You're saying, man, yeah, I, I, I'd sure like to pray about that. Maybe, I believe there's some that, that really honestly, you're just struggling with vanity. We live in such a crazy, beautiful is better world. If this is, if this is an issue that you'd like to be prayed for, I want you to just stand to your feet. If anything there touched you or anything around there touched you, just stand up. Just extend your hands toward them. Let's just agree together. And I want you to just pray this prayer. Lord, I repent of my distorted perspective of youth. I want to grow up. I want to mature. I repent of any youthful arrogance, independent spirit. And Jesus, I receive your forgiveness and grace. You may be seated. Finally, is... is rulership or leadership. You know, every one of us in here influence somebody. Jesus said it this way. He said, he said, the greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of all. Even the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for all mankind. That's the kind of leaders he wants us to be, servant leaders. Can you imagine what Solomon could have done for the kingdom of God had he had that vision and stayed with that vision. Maybe, maybe there's ambition in your life. You're power hungry. You, you, have power, you want to be recognized. You want to be noticed. Maybe honestly, you know you're creating an empire. It's anti-kingdom. You say, I want to have a heart for orphans, widows, people that are hurting and in need. Maybe your choices and decisions as a leader are actually abusing people. If one of those is your situation, I want you just to stand up and I want to pray for you. I want every one of us to stand up on this one because the truth of the matter is every single one of us Every single one of us, whether you know it or not. And I just want to pray a prayer over all of us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us seek first the kingdom hearts. Or that you would make us servant leaders for your purposes. Lord, we just repent of being power hungry and anti-kingdom and abusive. And Lord, we say that your love be the anthem that our hearts sing everywhere we go. In Jesus' name.